So like we get there, we run this call, and there's this two-year-old girl just staring at me. And I'm like, I still remember. I still remember her face. I remember her eyes. You know, and like I'm pumping on her chest. It's like, you've got to live. And she didn't. So then we come a couple months. My best friend, he calls me. He's like, hey, just a heads up. You have a CPR at your station. They shut the streets off because they're already about to land a helicopter. I'm still in my civilian clothes, and there's like this little girl. I'm looking at this little girl, and it's like, I... At that time, I'm still thinking clinically, like, we're not saving her. She's, there's damage beyond repair on this little girl. The friend that's off duty, he said the little girl's nickname. And then it dawned on him, this was his girl. So one thing is the difference between burnout and vicarious trauma, right? So burnout is like, hey, I went on vacation, came back, I feel like I'm ready to go, it's good, right? Vicarious trauma is I've done all the things I know to do and it's just not working and I can't stop thinking about these things that really I, I need to put to bed. So back in like, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you know, psychiatry and Christianity did not mix. They were two different schools of thought and didn't really get along very well. A lot of churches, Christian communities were believing that depression and anxiety were simply faith issues. And Dr. Minerth and Dr. Meyer both felt like they had a calling to help the Christians, believers, understand the brain's just like any other organ in the body. And when it's not working, things don't work. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATO Bridging the Divide listeners. Our community expends so much conscious energy on strength and performance. It's necessary. We spend a career perfecting our craft until it becomes subconscious muscle memory. Today, we hone our focus on psychological health with a fight well mindset brought to you by our guests. We ask you to shift your view of mental health from inadequacy to a guide to transform. Complement this tremendous, courageous physical effort I mentioned. Our interest as a podcast is to provide our loyal listeners the professional tutelage to drive you to protect your brain health, just like your physical health. This secures a powerful anchor. Thank you, Dr. T, that's your word. Hmm. The conscious energy you invest in securing this anchor allows you to attain your imminent potential. We as a community become more durable, 
proficient, surgical in our abilities, ultimately making our lives and industry better. We have a unique team sitting at the mics to guide the fight well objective. We bring you the crumps. Barbara, a licensed professional counselor. David, a McKinney firefighter paramedic. They married before they chose their careers. Now our listeners can experience their story of growth. Barbara is an SMU grad and finished her master's in counseling in 2007. She is thoroughly engaged in our culture, being married to a first responder, and experiencing a father who was a lieutenant in the Army during the Vietnam era. Her specialties include instruction of trauma curriculum, boundaries, shame, self-care, and EMDR. Recently, she joined 3FTL in 2021. She will give us the details of this mental health treatment team for first responders. David is an advocate for the McKinney Fire Peer Support Program. Please welcome this special team who tirelessly provides support, guidance, and accountability for our tribe. Welcome, guys. Hi, thank you. Oh my thank gosh, that you. was a great intro. Yeah, she's the best. That was really good. I can't good. wait until I can replay that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, you were, play it on loop. You might yes. catch a flub in there. You were very well accomplished. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It was nice. I'm so excited. You can make that your ringtone, just have yeah. that playing right. on a loop. Well, and right. for the record, David did major in criminal justice. I yeah, did. Hey. I did. However, yeah. he is portraying the ultimate firefighter mustache oh yeah the, everybody will see it in the, in the photos we release it's fantastic it's, pretty, it's, it's a substantial mustache mm-hmm. i like it substantial. Yeah. yeah that's how we know each other a little head nod yeah like, i see you there right. well we're gonna have on um, misty and i we recorded an episode with the owner one of the owners of legends fit out in rockwell i don't know if you've heard of that place but they are god they are totally supporters of law enforcement and first responders and military and you can see you see all the stashes and you see all the thin blue line and red yep. line we just mm-hmm. yeah and all the tats mm-hmm. yeah, yeah you, can, you can spot them a mile away right that's how you know before i get into this i want to uh, give a s- special mention to a guest co-host we have here it's lieutenant lisette rivera she's the new lieutenant over the dpd's new wellness unit lieutenant thanks for coming on Thank you, Joe, for having me. Welcome. The first time is always nervous. <laughs> you a bit. Usually we'll ask you to maybe sing a little something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just a little something. <laughs> Are you guys going to get to talk more about that today? Because I want to um, hear more about it. Well, yes. yeah, okay. we can. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're actually going we're gonna, to we're gonna do something later on about it. It's, it's officially going now, but uh, later on in the episode, we, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll ask, question, ask us questions and we'll... We'll talk about it. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm be asking you a lot of questions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Are right, you ready to dive in this, Barbara? Sure. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. There's some little slow speed pitches here. Okay. okay. Where Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Lubbock, but my parents moved to Long Island, New York, the North Shore, when I was two. So I grew up between two and you know eighteen or twenty two, depending on what you decide when I actually left <laughs> um, on the North Shore of Long Island, New York. So, wow. When you label it North Shore, what's the difference then as opposed to South Shore? So, ooh, well, Billy Joel said you either date a 
a rich girl from the North Shore or a cool girl from the South Shore. Got it. <laughs> Is it right. What would be the medium? The medium. The medium. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't really want to be in the medium. <laughs> like. it, when Dallas, that's kind of, would it be the Garland area? Maybe? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's get, probably. East Texas, and, <laughs> right? East Texas and Dallas and it's yep. kind of in the middle. Now, yeah, that's probably a good analogy, yeah. right? You know, he's not wrong, though. We have some friends from G-Town and it's a different... It's a different vibe, It's a right? different vibe. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Lieutenant Dan, who's been on oh, yeah. Clean Note Garland. There's a couple Straight cops and cops' Garland. kids that work with us from right. Garland. Garland. We need them, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but the North Shore is, like, so Long Island's long. That's why it's called Long Island. On the West End is, like, where you would see, like, Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn. And then the East is the Hamptons. And then North and South. So... And from north to south, it's only like 45 minutes. So 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. So like, it's a pretty small island to have like all these people. So technically, wow. there you don't live in the middle. You live in the north no, or the south. Do. I mean, Deer Park is in the middle. Okay. I mean, you don't want to live in the middle, but you do. People do. Now, David, <laughs> where did where did you grow up? Dallas site. Yeah, a little bit. I kind of grew up all over Texas. Yeah. Uh, I was born down in Baylor, downtown Baylor. Yeah, all right. Shout um, out Baylor. But my dad went to Southwestern uh, Seminary in Fort Worth, and so he became a pastor. So we lived in East Texas. We lived in West Texas. Lived in Houston for a while. Um, but the the main one was my dad was born in Henrietta, Texas, mm. and my grandfather had a ranch out there and a farm. So that was kind of like the mainstay. Like, we would move towns, like, almost every five years because he just went from church to church. Okay. His motto was, I stay as long as I'm doing good work. When I'm not doing good work, I move on to the next town. So we moved around. I've tried to have that had that motto with DPD, and the, with all my crap work I've been doing all, all these years, they haven't run me off yet, so I'm stuck there here. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're embedded. So you're still yeah, doing good work. I'm, yeah, well, I don't know. It's debatable. Mm. All right. Did y'all have first responder uh families like any background in first responders no it was we had nurses in my family mm-hmm. and well my, my mom's side they were all nurses except for my mom yeah and then military of course yeah like my grandfather was a an mp in the korean war oh wow okay and then her family of course so and then my other grandfather was a missionary so it's Service, service is always been in the family. Mm-hmm. Barbara, did you, um, your, your father, he's in Vietnam? He was during the Vietnam era, but he always was stateside. He was in the Chemical Corps. Okay. And so he was, you know, storing, mixing, all kinds of things. For- chemist. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a chemist. Like, I mean, my parents kind of have an interesting story in that, like, they both went and got their masters in the 70s, which was very unusual for that time. And then for my mom to do it, too, was pretty unusual. Yeah. Um, and my dad was in the ROTC at Virginia Tech. And then after he graduated, he was an officer. And so they have a, an interesting story in that, like, they really uh, educate. They were very educated and had a, always had a plan. Like That is different for the 70s, though. It is, you know? yeah. And it really is. Um. Did he talk about his role in Vietnam much? It was at the tail end of the war. Ooh, let me tell you something. Uh, he didn't, but this is actually an interesting story about growing up on Long Island. Okay, so my parents were from Texas, right? Okay. But we moved to Long Island, and my household was kind of different maybe than some of the households around me, right? So we said yes, sir, no, sir. Um, my father was a, a veteran, my and uh, 
I didn't really start grasping what he did during the Vietnam era until about I won't name the grade because I don't want to call out the teacher, but the there was a teacher that uh, I was really proud. I was like, my dad, you know, served in the army during Vietnam. And he was like, oh, what did he do? I said, well, he's in the chemical corps. And he looked at me and he said, oh, so he uh, so he created uh, napalm and uh, or- Agent Orange. Agent huh? Orange. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I don't, you know, I was a kid. Yeah. And I came home and I kind of asked my mom, I said, like, they said, like, he kind of called me out in front of the class and said, like, um, that he had created uh, Napalm and Agent Orange. And I don't I don't even think I knew what those were. And my mom was pissed. My mom was like, because this guy, this person <laughs> had they were of the same age, but they had got they had they had found a way out of serving and Hippies. so my they my yeah. mom was my mom was pissed and she was like you go back and tell him and you know of course i yeah. didn't but that was my first introduction i'm to, surprised i didn't go up there <laughs> i know you know, you know what my dad is chill my dad was like whatever like teach his own well he's heard it all i mean you know and, and most people that serve they it's like us we you know but we hear it. We don't care. Yeah. yeah. We care, but it's we expect it, and it comes with the territory. And the same with the military, especially back then in the 70s yeah. when it comes to that uh, Vietnam War. Right. Well, and unfortunately, I, sometimes I veer away from even telling people he was in the Chemical Corps because there's enough people. Like, we, we had a really good friend who, like, literally said to me, oh, so your dad killed my dad because his dad died of cancer from Agent Orange. Yeah. So and look, my dad was doing what everyone did. They he was just following orders, and we didn't know. And yeah. and bless his heart, I still love and love that friend of ours. But that became something that I became really careful about sharing um, about the chemical core because for some that just really strikes a chord with people. Yeah. Well, so my uh, adoptive father he he served in Vietnam, and he actually. I believe he he died of uh, Agent Orange as well because my mom tried to get those survivor benefits all those right, right. and that was right in the late eighties, early nineties when that when those benefits were just getting going. Mm. But it was that was what was needed at the time. That was just part of what was going on in that war. It was right. a it, your, your father just did his job, and and that's that was his role. Right. Just like the other side had their roles, right? Right, right. It was, it was similar. So yeah. It's tragic. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you know, people are going to talk, but you know, just you just roll with that. You do. I mean, we, but I think it really started to. Um, I it's when I started to really realize, like growing up on Long Island, that my household felt a little different than the households around me. And I'm not saying there aren't people who served there, and there aren't people who, but it started to feel like we we are just a little bit different like my parents my parents took us to southern baptist church you know most of my friends were catholic or jewish or or you know very many different faiths but we were protestant and we were sort of the uh not many many of us right where did where did y'all go to college i went to sam houston i started there Okay. I haven't. I still haven't finished. I got enough okay. hours in so many different things. I could probably have hey, a degree, same but here. I don't hey, have same one. here, man. Um, hey, but I went to Sam Houston. Seems like you're doing well. Yeah, so you're all right. I, I feel like I'm doing well. Yeah, figured it out. I think things have worked out. Hey, you're on me. a podcast. Yeah, huh? you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not There's another podcast like, uh, about murder conspiracies yeah, that I never want to be on. Or a serial killer. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. uh, talking about the uh, serial killer. Yo, I remember. In high school, I asked like my government teachers, like I think I want to, like the goal is like, I want to be in the FBI. Like, what do I need to do? And she's like, you need a criminal justice degree. Start there. Then you probably need a law degree. And I'm like, 
all right, I can start. It's like, where should I go? So I went to Sam Houston and I got into the criminal justice and, but I really got into not doing school there too. So that kind of got in the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Hey, I'm the same boat, but I think, we're, I think we're okay, Dave. Yes. I, I'm yeah. <laughs> what about you? Well, uh, I was a wild child on Long Island hmm. and my parents, I think looking back were like, Hey, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to get her out of this area. And so they were willing to let me go see SMU. Oh, okay. So, because uh, I knew, like, well, you know, there's a kind of a long story. I thought I would go to a big school, but I knew I'd get lost. And I didn't want to go to a small school in, like, a Pennsylvania rural area because I knew I'd be bored. And so SMU sort of had the perfect combination of, like, a small private school in a city. And it was conservative enough in my parents' eyes that they felt like it's worth it. What like, year was that? Oh, I, I started in 97 and graduated in 2001. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, SMU is very renowned. I mean, it's in, had you ever been in Dallas before this? Really? No. You just came to Dallas just for college? Just for college. Wow. wow. Yeah. Just for college. What'd you think of it coming from New York um, into this? That's a good question. What did I think bird? of it? Right? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, SMU is a bubble. So that was different than Dallas proper, I guess. Um, what did I think of SMU? SMU was uh, fun, different, conservative. And it's so funny now because I work at like the Meyer Clinic, which is a very conservative uh, clinic. And sometimes like Dr. Coburn will ask me like, oh, what, you're from a liberal school, SMU. And I'm like, oh, well, trust me, when I was going there, it felt super conservative to me. Um, so it felt kind of conservative, but like, uh, it was fun and there was plenty to do and it was, it was a good school. Where, did you live close, but did you live on campus? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you just kind of, when you went out, was just around that little bubble of the, we, we went to like deep alum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. she said like her wild times were just in long Island. You still got, you still they, had fun here. They Bellum. extended four or five more years. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas has a lot to offer. Yes. It does. Yeah. I, I stayed in plenty of trouble for a while. I was very, very lucky, honestly. Like, looking back. Especially Deep L. I, I wouldn't go down there without a, without a oh, pistol's yeah. always on me. But. Right? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm a, I was always a risk taker. Um, I was always looking for adventure, always, my, my whole life. And so um, that put me into situ- you know situations like that where I was like, all right, let's have some fun. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah. That's part of keeping up your mental health, right? The study right. and then you got to have fun. Right, exactly. So what did you do right after uh, you graduated? Um, right after I graduated, I went into uh, – like media sales, so advertising media sales. So um, I did assisting, and then I went into Dr. Pepper corporate, which is now I think like Keurig, Dr. Pepper. I don't know. I had we had three different, four different or- owners while I was there because I was there for twelve years. So out of out of college, I went and did advertising and media market negotiations for twelve years, which I can't believe because that feels like a different world. It, did you ever watch Mad Men? Yes, oh yeah! Oh my it. God! That's one of yeah. my favorite. No, the, the Draper. Yes. yes. So you were like the Peggy. You were Peggy, basically. Oh, on that I was night. a Peggy. Yeah. yeah, I was a Peggy. Or you a Joan? Oh. That's a great question. Maybe a combo. Maybe a Peggy was, who wanted to be Joan. Yeah. I don't know. I would that's almost say, like, shows. I would almost say, yeah. like, you were a Joan that was that also operated as a Peggy. Because you, you ran your business, you did your, yeah. and you were good at it. 
I was. You and were then, good at it. And then I discovered marketing is not for me. Yeah. I could not sit in another meeting talking about like, oh, is the can here? Is the can here? Like, is, yeah. you know, we're going to spend... 120 million this way or 120 million that way and it was like okay this is for someone else so in 2007 though uh i started my master's and i thought okay my master's in counseling and i was like well this will be like a nice hobby i'll work full time and go to school at night and i just creeped through my master's Mm -hmm. in 2007 david i uh, looked at your bio. The, you work for the Mavs, and, I I, and I'm a Mavs fan for a long. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I, I've, back in the '80s. I was a Mavs fan. You going to Reunion Arena, and then oh yeah, the terrible '90s with uh with those all those spare teams we had, and then so what, many. What, what did you actually? What did you do there? It's fascinating. So right? that was it was crazy how I got that job. That was I had a lot of good friends around me, and then I was working. Like, I was a maintenance man downtown, like. Just kind of bouncing around and looking for stuff to do. How old were you at that time? Man, 23. Okay. That's what he was doing when we met. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, And so the, the guy that worked there, he was like their accountant. And uh, he goes, hey, come work for the come work for the Mavs. There's a job opening in the warehouse. You know? And so, like, I started off, I filled the internet orders. Like, put stuff in boxes and stuff like that. And then they graduated me to the Mav Gear manager, which means I just took pictures of the stuff and then filled the orders right. <laughs> and put it on the internet. And then I got to work at the games and help with the marketing and stuff like that. That's really cool. Did yeah. So both of y'all have some kind of marketing background. That's yeah. interesting. Isn't that weird? That yeah. is weird. Yeah. It, were you a Mavs fan? I was. Are you now? I still am. Okay. I don't yeah. watch as much sports as I used to, which yeah. is weird. I watch a lot of football. That's probably yeah, the big love, one I, I sit love, down I for. But I'm a huge Mavs fan. Oh, yeah. I have Luca, he's, I'm pretty happy we got away. You know, Dirk wrapped it up, and now we got him. Oh, yeah. Well, and David worked every home game. So there's at least 43 of those, 42 of those in a regular season. 41. 41. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's been a while. Yeah. 41 in a regular season. Because they weren't making playoffs then, so yeah, it was 41. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that's when I, I no, started in 05, yeah. so we made playoffs. Oh, okay, yeah. So I went, yes. yeah, and that went was, to. That was Nash and when Dirk was. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, when I started, Finley, Nash had just left. Finley was, And so yeah. Finley and Dirk were still there. Yeah, okay. And then uh, Josh Howard, John. Jet, Terry, um, Stackhouse. Were you there when they, when they went to the play the Heat in the. Oh yeah! Free, oh, gee, that was oh so yeah! Disgusting. Mm-hmm. They, we almost well, we had a like we went. They flew us to Miami yeah. to watch those some of those games, and that was that was a rough game. Those oh were yeah, rough ones well, to we watch. Were up two zero. Yeah. That, oh that yeah. Was terrible. Yeah. Yet the story was is that, and I remember it. We were in the office, and they brought city officials into the office to plan the parade. I, re- I, re- I, heard, I, re- I read about that. That's a yeah, it was a true story. It's like, what are they doing? It's like, oh, they're planning the parade. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, and Pat Riley used that. You know, yeah, brought it into the locker room. It was like, hey, they've already got you canceled out. Yeah. Like, well, they had Shaq and Dwayne Wade. I mean, like, oh, they yeah. were just you know. And there's conspiracies, you know. The NBA wanted to make Dwayne Wade a superstar, oh, so he they was, helped him out. Man, he so. couldn't drive the lane without either getting fouled. I mean, oh, yeah. he couldn't touch him. Anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll get, hey, this we isn't a Dallas Mavs topic. We go a long way. I'll stop venting about my <laughs> yeah. frustration. We got him back in 2011, so screw him. Okay, David, why did you decide to leave this profession? Get getting become a first responder. Man, the in complete honesty is like. You know, of course, the background of service was always there and stuff like that. And I can give you a general answer of want to serve and be a part of that and stuff. But really, all honesty is like I was hitting 30 years old. 
I had a brand new baby and a wife and I had spent 10 years bouncing around job to job. Mm-hmm. And I met a friend that come back to church, met a friend like, Hey, I work in McKinney and these firefighters, man, they, it's a full career, mm-hmm. you get benefits, you know, and you're with a group of guys all day long. And I'm like, I, I think I could get into that. I think that's something I would really like. And we'd already had a friend, remember Nick Vasulo, mm-hmm. he tried to get me to test for Dallas a couple years before that. He goes, you would fit right in. I was like, okay, I, I'm going to do this. This is, this is the time to do it. If I'm going to do it 30 years old, this is the time to do it. And so I, I quit my job. We moved in with my parents, sold a car and I went to Colin college full time. We got my fire certs and got my paramedic certs just all in a row. Wow. And it was, that was a struggle because that was around 2010. That's when like the economy kind of crapped out a little bit. Yeah. So it's hard to get hired on somewhere. But we we did it. It worked out, mm-hmm. and so we haven't looked back since. Different mentality going from Mavs and and marketing into firefighting. How big of a change was that for you? And then and then Barbara jump in after. after yeah, after, just talk about you. Did you see a change in his his mindset mentality? It was, and it wasn't like for me. Like so, like it's a lot more structured. But I grew up during summers helping my grandpa like work cattle and harvest wheat. So like, there's a lot of like hard work and physical, physical work with that. So I kind of was used to that, you know, and at the Mavs and even jobs before that, I was kind of, I surround myself with a a group of people. So going into the group environment was still like, okay, I, I get this, but going into the public safety aspect of it, that was like, and just the intensity of like, okay, so every decision could have a, a very serious consequence. And I've never really been in that environment. Yeah, before. yeah. They weren't. You didn't walk into the Mavs right uh, warehouse and yeah, uh, there was a fire there. If, you always walk into a fire. If I send <laughs> someone, the, if I send someone the wrong shirt, I'm just going to give them their money back and give them yeah. the shirt they you're want. Not, you're not trying you to know. save somebody's life exactly. in a car, car wreck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there any apprehension on your part whenever he came to you and said, I'm, I want to be a firefighter? No. Um, he had played around a little bit with, or we had discuss, been discussing, I mean, at that point, we'd been married seven years, I think, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and he had discussed a little bit about, like, the Marines and, like, and I, it's, there wasn't any apprehension on my part. But you, but picture this. I mean, I just had my our son right i'm like holding our son (laughs) he's like he's like nine of nine months old and my husband's like i think i want to be a firefighter it's like okay you know and we're both 30 and so uh it was like well if you're gonna do it babe you like let's do it like let's not like play around with this and like kind of test here and kind of like that's what when it was like okay quit your job go we're moving in with your parents we're selling a car we're moving out of this home our new home that we just bought and uh, we're doing full-time fire academy because if you're going to do it, like, let's make it happen. And I had tested. I tested – this is a couple years before even that, even before the Mavs job. I tested for North Richland Hills uh, PD and Frisco. And at that point between those two, I was like, I don't think I would work out as a cop. I just don't think that's the way I'm wired. It's just a little bit different. And so when the when the firefighter came along and, like, Nick's talking to me almost constantly, like, you're exactly what, like firefighters, that's what we kind of look for. Your mentality, your personality, you would fit in. 
I'm like, okay, I can do this. And Barbara, you were not a counselor at this time, right? Right. I was still in marketing. I didn't switch till 2015. So he, the timeline wow. is like, what was that? Okay. I said, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. I mean, I crawled along because I was, I was working more than full time. I had yeah. a baby. He was in the fire academy. So I was like taking like one class a semester, maybe a mini master here and there. And then she was a true hoss. Like yeah. I quit everything hoss. just to go to school. Like she's still doing everything. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and then and t- once he was done and he was with McKinney, that's when I was like, I'm going to quit. Okay, now I'm quitting my job, and I'm just going to knock this counselor yeah. thing out, and I'm going to take the, the licensing exams, and, and then, then I was like full force. So did he come back, and would he, when you were going to some of these incidents, and would you come back and tell her what you saw that day? No. Okay. So you're already right from the get go, kind of shielding the spouse from. Oh yeah. So, but, but tell our listeners mm-hmm. why. When you say yeah. no, that is very definite. Yeah. No. Um. You know, it's you know you you start it and then you talk to the older guys that are already there, so you learn from them, right? Okay. So even ten years ago, that culture is still kind of in place of like, work stays at work, home stays at home, and I think we all can attest that that's yeah. a myth, but that was what you kind of learn just talking to those guys. Like if you wanted to get something off your chest, you just told stories at the dinner table, you know, and it was always in story form. You didn't really talk about how you were dealing with it. Um, and I think, and Barbara tested this, I've always kind of naturally internalized things anyway. Yeah. I was not a big share to begin with. So things happen at work. I just didn't talk about it. I mean, even to this day, especially mm-hmm. calls I'll talk about, but even stuff that goes on at the station, I don't talk about Well, you much. can't, right? I, shenanigans. Yeah, shenanigans. you really yeah. shouldn't, right? Yeah. I <laughs> know. Yeah. I, I tried to pry it out of some of the firemen, and oh, they would give it up. Would, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give it up. No. Right? Right? <laughs> the bunkhouse. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bunkhouse mm-hmm. shenanigans. Right? <laughs> so, Barbara, did knowing what you know now, whenever he started, did you notice a change in his mentality and as far as anything from a physical or mental standpoint with his behavior? Did you notice something? Yeah, I did. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. So I start, he, like he said, he was kind of already like a more quiet, like uh, introverted kind of guy. And, um, but as he started going through the years, or I would even say probably noticed within the first year, he was even more quiet. And he would come home and it would feel like, okay, I feel, I know something's up, but I don't want to bug him. And I don't want to ask him about if he slept because that's just going to piss him off. And I just, you know, want to be really careful. I I probably started walking on eggshells pretty early. Um, But you recognized something was going on, right? Just Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. But like, I, you know, I don't want to poke the bear. Like, I wasn't sure what to do. How did you navigate that? Well, in the beginning, I probably didn't navigate it great. Um, I was, uh, but I want to rewind a little bit to when you said, were you apprehensive at all about uh, him joining? I think if I knew now, knew then what I know now, if I knew then what I know now, absolutely. Absolutely. But why? Because I think I would uh, sit myself down and be like, look, it's not even the physical danger, Barbara. You need to be prepared that he's he may pull very, very inward. He may pull away. Um, this is going to be very hard. There's going to yeah. be 
really tough times. Um, this is going to change the whole dynamic of your marriage, him as a dad, him as a friend, him as a fa- as an external family member. Um, yeah. I mean, David would start doing things like we'd go to, he was, he's really big into, his family's very close. Um, and we would go to family functions and, you know, David would just kind of, he used to be like the life of the party there and everyone you know, telling oh, yeah. jokes and he's the golden child. And so, but now he's going to family functions. He's just kind of quiet. He's just kind of sitting watching TV and, and this is his family that he loves. And so, um, noticing those things, but then how did I navigate it? Not very well, probably in the beginning. I think I did a, two mistakes that were not good. One was I started walking on eggshells and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe enabling, you know, yeah. um, maybe not, uh, maybe creating too much of not letting him feel the consequences or the effects of pulling away from the family or the effects of um, us being like, shh, be quiet, he's sleeping, which I do want him to get a nap, but to make the whole house revolve around him and his mood and his what's going on, that's not healthy for anybody. And um, I, so I made that mistake. And then the other mistake was at times like wanting to force him to talk about things like, what happened? Tell me what happened. Um, I can tell some things up. What happened with this call? What happened with that call? Oh, and let me tell you a third one. A third one is when uh, I would hear a really terrible news story from anywhere in the country or world. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, David, did you hear about, and I'd start talking about this really terrible story. And I remember one time you turned to me and you were like, Barbara, Yeah. You were like, don't, I don't want to talk about this because even though it was a story from like wherever across the nation, he said, Barbara, I can smell it. I can taste it. I can hear it. And I don't want to talk about it. And I learned like, okay, we can't do that. Those news stories are real. Like, you know, like you can picture that you can probably picture the scene in your head and you know everything about that. And so, yeah, I I still avoid a lot of those. What carries the most weight? Cause we can't relate. We're, we're, we're not in a firehouse. Is it the medical calls? Or is it is it the fire calls? It's it's the medical calls. Yeah, and for like a lot of reasons. Um, one for like for us, most of our liability like that's just on the surface. Most of our liability comes from medical calls. So you're like initially you're like okay, and it's sad sometimes, but you make the decisions like, am I going to get in trouble for this or not get in trouble for this? So that it starts there, and then those choices we can you make. To that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. Um, and on the fire side is like no, that's. That's what makes us look good. Mm-hmm. That's what's fun. You go in there and put the wet stuff on the red stuff, tear down some walls and some ceiling, and you go home. You know, as long as we put a good stop on it and we didn't burn down a whole neighborhood, most everybody's pretty happy with us. It's the medical calls. It's the kids. Yeah. It's the abusive calls too. That like the the spousal abuse stuff. Like those are those are no fun. Speaking of uh, <clears throat> of incidents that that stick with you, can you talk about any critical incidents that that really s- s- got you and kind of haunt you? Oh yeah, if you can. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll start it. I'm I may start crying, but I'll just a fair warning because it's <laughs> hey, still it's still there. You're right. not you're not gonna um, be the first or you're not, not gonna be the last when it comes to that. It's you know. Well, and just pause for one second. Uh, if you're gonna do the call, I think you're gonna do. From March 2020. There's going to be two in that okay. period. The only thing I was going to say about that is just... Uh, Leave out names? Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, we... So, like, 
Was that 21? 2020, March. Oh, what year was March that? March 2020, because it was, we had ago? just done, okay, let me just do a little preamble while you, okay, we mm-hmm. had literally just done a mental health conference with 22 kill, it was 22 kill at the time, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, the Block Foundation, and we had just spoken. Right. He had taken the first 12 <clears throat> off. Am I telling the right story? Yeah, I'll, I'll come to that. Let me back up. Okay. So there's a call before that that's still, like, they're still there. Like, I still remember, it was a, like, a two-year-old girl, we're in flu season, and we get called, me and a buddy get called to a CPR at a doctor's office. You know, and so we're like, well, that's weird. So we get there, and there's these two doctors doing CPR on this little girl. And we're like, okay. So we take over, and we do the CPR. And that's not what stuck with me. Like, there was so much anger from just the parents because they've been there the day before. The doctors have said she has the flu. And we know is like, doctors and paramedics, like, a kid with the flu is something you have to be very careful about. Well, they didn't fill any of her prescriptions. They didn't do anything to help her with medicine-wise or anything like that. So that morning, they wake up, and she's not conscious. So instead of calling us, or they drove by two hospitals, they went right to the doctor's office, and they're not prepared for CPR. So like we get there, and we run this call, and there's this two-year-old girl just staring at me. And I'm like, I still remember. I still remember her face. I remember her eyes. You know, like I'm pumping on her chest. I was like, you've got to live. And she didn't. So then we come. So I, that one stuck on me. Like we even did a diffusing. We went up to Baylor and they had a counselor there. And we talked to, I talked to the chaplain there for a minute. And I'm like, okay, we're doing okay. Then we fast forward just a couple months. That was like January. Okay. So then we come a couple months and we're doing a mental health conference. We kind of. We'd done like our little presentation a couple times and then we got to this conference and we got to do it and it was, it was really good. So I'm driving in cause I had just had the front half off. So I'm driving in as I drive in, um, my best friend, shout out to Mark Serrano. If he ever hears this, um, he calls me. He's like, Hey, just a heads up. You have a CPR at your station. I'm like, okay. All right. So then I like, I hurry up and like, I get there and like, there he shut the, like, this is they shut the streets off because they're already about to land a helicopter. And so, like, I still remember all of the – they stopped me. I see one of the cops like, hey, man, that's my station. He goes, okay, go ahead. And so I hop a curb. I get out. I'm still in my civilian clothes, and there's, like, this little girl, like, in our bay. And I recognize one of the firefighters. He's off duty, and I'm like, he's got – he's covered in blood. I'm like, okay, this is pretty serious. And – I'm looking at this little girl and it's like, I, at that time I'm still thinking clinically, like we're not saving her. She's there's damage beyond repair on this little girl. So I'm thinking, Oh, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, why are we still working this little girl? Let, let's, you know, this is, and then the nurse, like the flight medics come in, they're starting to give her blood. I'm like, what is happening? It's like, but I'm in there, I'm working. And the friend that's off duty, he said the little girl's nickname. And then it dawned on me, this was his girl, you know? So then. Like, this is a teammate? Yeah. They lived around the corner. Like he would bring her around the station on Saturdays when we washed the, the trucks and engines and like talk and stuff like that. So like, oh no. Um, so then it's like, okay, now I know what we're doing and why we're doing it. So then 
we, and even then that's like, that's hard. And I'm still doing, I'm still doing okay. Then they fly the girl and the mom goes in the helicopter with them. And then they ask me, he's like, well, you're not at work yet. Will you drive him downtown Parkland? The dad. The dad. My friend, my teammate. I'm like, okay. So we're 90 miles an hour down 75 trying to get downtown. They tell her, they first they tell us they flew her down to Medical City off Forest and 75. So we're flying down there and like, I, I'm peer support. I just did a conference. I'm like, I should know how to talk to this guy. I've got nothing. And you can imagine the state he's in. He's like, what do I do? What do I, I was like, I got nothing for you. The, I haven't felt that helpless in a long time. And that stuck with me. So we get to the hospital and he runs it. We're both covered in blood. He runs into the ER. He's like, this isn't the hospital. They're at Parkland. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know? And then, okay. So we go down to Parkland. And so he goes in and I'm like, Hey, stay here. We're in his vehicle. And I'm like, stay here. I'm going to clean up your truck. Cause the truck's full of blood. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, I can't, I can't clean this. <laughs> so it was, that's the one that sticks with me, you know, and that one will come back and get me every once in a while, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> that's probably going to stick with me too. <laughs> thank, I mean, I, thank you for getting that story out there. That's yeah. Barbara, mm-hmm. it's time for you to Chime jump in. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whenever you found out about this incident, what did you see, Phil, when, whenever you found out about this and uh, from David? Well, yeah, David called me from the hospital. And, I mean, I can't stress enough. You have to, to, to understand what this was like for us. We're on this high. We're like, we just did this mental health conference. I'm, like, excited because I've been planning this for, like, nine months. And um, he calls me, and he says, I'm at... I'm at uh, the hospital. I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm cleaning blood out of the truck. I'm like, what? What is happening? I mean, it's just immediate, like, like my head starts spinning. Um, What's going on? How could this be possible? I just saw him like an hour and a half ago, like, and all, everything was normal, you know? And then as it's all, all the pieces started coming together and realizing like all the people we knew that were affected by this, um, it felt, I'll tell you, you know, what I started to do was go into caretaker mode and started trying to take care of all kinds of people, mm-hmm. including him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay, okay, let's get, let's get, a, let's get over to the family. All right, let's, let's talk to the other people that were there. Let's make sure the other wives uh, know what's going on. And yeah, uh, I, I just, it was like default. And I think that was sort of protecting me a little bit. Um, about a week later and then, you know, we sort of play through it. It's not good. It it was not a good scene. Um, I reached out to my friends. Then about a week later, one of my friends very kindly said to me, Barbara, like you have someone in your home to take care of. You have your own heart to take care of. You have your son to take care of. Like, pull it in, like stop trying to be everything to everybody right now because you have your own stuff. Was yeah. that good advice? Oh, I needed it so bad. I needed it so bad. And and from the right person who was loving and knew us very well. And I think 
I think this really helped us to solidify how important friends are and having friends and good friends, friends we trust and love. Because um, the thing about that call was we had friends in the department who knew what was going on, but they weren't directly affected by the call. So they kind of swooped in. They they came showed up one day and just made us lunch and said, we're just making you lunch. And that's all that's going to happen. And that's, that was very hard for us and me because I'm used to being the one that's hosting and making lunch. And so I had to just sort of let them take care of us. Did it help? Oh, it helped so much. It helped so much to have them just show up and say, we're not taking no for an answer. Sit down. We're making you lunch. And that guy's crew, like, that's when, like, it sucks. That when, that's when you really see the brotherhood and stuff like yeah. that, when things like that. But that whole crew took over for him. Like, they, what they did is they, they, they got rid of his car and got him a new car. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, they got, if they tried, first of all, they tried to, they paid for a professional cleaner to come in and like we're just not we're just gonna get yeah. rid of the car we'll get him a new one they took a care of all the stuff for him you know it's like i think it's like i'm a, it affected me deeply but it wasn't my kid yeah. like what is like what is my friend going through but that crew that took care of him and the things that they've done since then is phenomenal that's the brotherhood yeah yeah that's the brotherhood yeah and i want to be clear i mean this affected us but this was not the real people who were affected, obviously, were the family who lost their sure, kid. Of course, yeah. Um, this is y'all's perspective, though. He, yeah. I'm, I'm watching David tell the story. He's affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it was not his child, but he's greatly affected. And it's just like when Misty's on Martell, and 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 you know, she's affected by what happens to her. I mean, in Misty's case, it was a stranger, right? It was an yeah. infant. This is some. This is a yeah. child you knew, and a friend, right? Yeah. Court, yeah, it's, it's spider webs out to everybody, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think we have, uh, you know, we had uh, so we have a son, and at the time he would have been what 10, 10 11, yeah, 10 or 11, Maybe nine, 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 10, 11, yeah, 2020, <laughs> whatever year young. that was. Um, and uh, I think it obviously affected you because you're your dad, right. but then also we we felt like we needed to when something like that, what we did learn, even before which is another story is that at least i knew in the moment like when i knew like when i was cleaning that truck is like i've got to talk yeah i've got to tell her like this is the that's probably the only thing that's going to help me right now yeah so and she was already established you were established at counseling you had right yeah you you were in it yeah i was in it we're going to back up in a minute and get into that when when you got going okay but you recognize shit i need some help right yeah okay yeah. But what were you going to say, Lil? Um, I was think I was going to say, oh, we had realized somewhere a few years back, I think, when you'd had another, that the kid shooting, oh, yeah. that um, we, when he's going, when he has a call, when he's going through it, and Coleman, our son, picks up on it. Oh, yeah, he knows. So we decide, we don't want to be like, oh, everything's roses, everything's great all the time. Yeah. But finding appropriate ways to tell Coleman, our son, um, like what dad may be going through. Um, and even in that incident, I even reached out to my son's teacher and said, listen, like we just had a really rough weekend. If, if our son's acting just a little different this weekend, I mean, he didn't know the details at all. No. But he just knew like, like something really tragic happened, and you know, if something if something comes up at school, this is this is why. Yeah. 
That's so important, especially since kids, they they tend to internalize everything and make it about them. Mm -hmm. So for you to have be having those conversations, that's um, that's a that's great. Yeah, I think we just. Well, thank you. We think so too. Yeah, <laughs> I think we just knew like he was—he's going to pick up on something, so we might as well just tell him something age appropriate, so that he knows what we're going through. Do you feel like that's the way to do it? I do. Like if you're giving advice to other families that have a firefighter or a first responder in there and they're parenting, mm-hmm. it. it like sitting them down and talking to them about it does yeah. that help yeah absolutely well uh, yes because they're gonna they're gonna pick up on stuff anyway and um i've noticed working with families that are like we're especially law enforcement um love you guys and you guys have a lot more like you may be raising kids with a lot more rules or different kinds of rules than the other families around you so they're picking up on it they're picking up on like our family's different i'm not allowed to walk down to 7-eleven you know like okay well that's because of what dad does and so finding age appropriate ways to just talk to them and answer questions be like i will answer any question you want the biggest and this goes early like we're going to like first year or two like we're talking about the eggshells and stuff like that. And yeah, my my patience level, I still talk about it. My patience level went from like here to like down yeah. here. Like you thought like on our jobs, when we ask somebody to do something, I make the joke is like strangers listen to me better than you do. <laughs> you know, like when I tell a stranger to do something, they will usually immediately do it without a question. And so the patience level went down. But the biggest trick I've learned especially with Barbara and Cole is like, she, she told me, like, Hey, you're jumping on him pretty quick. And why? And so the, now when I, when I catch my, and I still do it. I still, it's not like I've fixed everything, but now at least I can say, Hey, look, I know I just yelled at you. I know I just made a very bad remark about y'all. I'm, I apologize. It's not y'all like, I, had, I haven't slept or look whatever it is like I at least try to say hey this is not about you Cole mm-hmm. yeah that way the kid doesn't just sit and yeah. stew on it the rest of the time well are the feel they did something yeah. wrong right mm-hmm. okay well, that's good to and spouses that. too because if you if I don't tell her what's going on especially in the fire service I don't know about costs especially the fire service when a spouse sees their spouse pulling away or being quiet is like it's not a bad call they're like oh he's He's got a girlfriend, you know, that's like, that's a real thing. You know, that's where they, a lot of the spouse's minds go to. Oh yeah. 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 We, that's definitely part of it. I have to tell uh, David sometimes that uh, our son's not your rookie. You can't can't just uh, tell him what to do. Yeah. When you, when you mentioned your patients dropping. Yeah. Is it dealing with the public? Is it the lack of sleep? Is it the diet? What is it? It it really came from just like how disciplined I think I became disciplined and rigid like with our with our work like we come in at 6:30 there's a you you check your tools, you check your equipment, you check your gear, you go make breakfast. If you have time, you run your calls, when you do your call, you do it in a very efficient way. And so you get used to kind of structure. that that structure. And so then when you see someone like meandering or lollygagging and you're like procrastinating, you're like, what the, what the crap are you doing, man? Yeah. It was like, 
Cole, I told you to take a shower. I am taking a shower. That was 30 minutes ago. The shower's been running for 30 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, now it's a cold shower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, like, I think that's kind of where the patience went down because when you're on a call or you're at the station, like, everything just needs to be done in an orderly fashion. When your officer asks you to do something, it comes a little bit of that, too, and it comes from my grandfather, too. And when an officer asks you to do something, you go, yes, sir, and you just go do it. And that's where that, I think that's where that came from. The public, um, I really have a whole lot with issues with the public. That hasn't been my, there's, there's guys that do have issues with that, but that hasn't been one that's got me yet. You know, there's been some BS calls that you, we joke and talk about, but that's oh, job yeah. security. Um, so you mentioned, uh, being very structured and regimented, um, Barbara, do you find yourself having to kind of offset that? Um, like I've been, I've been married for a long time, and I'm usually the one who is more rigid, more strict, and my husband is a lot more fun, more easygoing. So we, we kind of balance each other out. Is that something? Does that sound about what goes on yes. in the relationship? Yeah, it does. It does. And um, yeah, the more he's kind of pulls towards. Uh, having being strict and regimented and having the right way to do things right and i like to give coleman our son options um and i think it's but i also think that's our personality that was always our personalities um and uh so that can be a little bit a little bit challenging sometimes and i have to be really i had to learn how to be really careful not to do the whole wait till your dad gets home i had to adjust that because that was not fair to david to um the minute he gets in he's going to be handling some discipline option like i really had to learn like i need to deal with that when he's not here because they need to be excited to see each other yeah he instead of just getting inundated with yes disciplinary and stuff yeah Mm -hmm. I would say you're immersed in our culture. Do you feel like that's given you an edge? I do. And why? Uh, because I think I understand a little bit more uh, where things are coming from. So a couple of things that really helped. You know, I did a I did a ride out actually with Dallas Fire, um, probably 2019. <coughs> I think it was down at is it 18? That's down um, downtown. Very busy station. Sure. Did 12 hour yeah. ride out on the. Um, on the ambulance and that helped me learn a, a couple things you know one was that how busy it is um the other is that one thing that i was not understanding was it's one thing to deal with calls and trauma and medic stuff and fires and all that adrenaline dump and all that kind of stuff but i i was completely underestimating how much living with five to six to eight certain kind of personalities for 24 plus hours also affects his mood what's going on yeah. i mean if they if there's one person that's like doesn't quite fit in the in the in the station that can like throw everyone's day off right um and just dealing with that like so realizing like oh it's not just that it's the personalities it's the politics it's it's the who didn't cook properly and um that really helped me to understand that it, it really takes a toll well he's probably absorbing their positive or negative energy mm-hmm. too right and he's yep. and he's bringing it home and, oh, yeah. and, and that's affecting your mood and we yeah. talked about like we talked about this last <laughs> so the shower and she was talking I was like i think i'm just down I was like i may be depressed and i was like 
Am I bringing the whole house down? <laughs> is that what's going on? He's just a big angry. Yeah, am I bringing it down right now? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that really helped. And then um, just kind of learning, like listening to the stories and asking questions. I think I I think when I first started counseling, I thought I'm supposed to be the expert and know it all. And and just if I don't know what they're talking about, I just nod my head and it's and, and I'll figure it out later. But I think one of the... the the keys that has super helped me is if I don't understand, I ask. And, you know, now I have enough sort of base that I don't think they f- people feel like when they come in, they're explaining everything to me. But yeah, I mean, if someone's SWAT, like I want to understand, like, how is that different than than maybe just patrol? Or like, how is being, um, you know, on the engine different than the truck, right? right? Like, please tell me. And now I work with so many different agencies and cities. I love to learn like their ins and outs and like, oh, so do you guys always have a battalion chief that's at station one? Or, you know, I love to learn like all the little details and, and people love to share. That that's one reason why we do this podcast, Barbara. I mean, really, that we we want to educate. Po- There's some yeah. police that they don't understand the SWAT lifestyle. They in the SWAT that doesn't understand the narcotic lifestyle. They don't understand the the firefighter yeah. lifestyle, and that's what that's what this is about too, to educate. Yeah. So going back to whenever you got in, become a counselor. Mm-hmm. You start the Meyer Clinic. How I did. did you get? How did you get involved in there? Man, that is such a cool story because I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. Meyer and Dr. Minerith, but they started over 40 years ago as um, some of the original Christian psychiatrists in the United States. So back in like, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you know, psychiatry and Christianity did not mix. They were two different schools of thought and didn't really get along very well. And Dr. Minerith and Dr. Meyer were uh, cadaver partners in medical school. And both felt like they had a calling to help the Christians, believers, understand the body, the brains, just like any other organ in the body. And when it's not working, like your things don't work, right? And so, um, but prior to that, a lot of churches, Christian communities were believing that depression and anxiety were simply faith issues. So Dr. Minister and Dr. Meyer started um, some original of the original Christian psychiatry. They wrote two huge books. Uh, one was Happiness is a Choice. The other one is Love is a Choice. And anyway, all that to say, I started in counseling when I was like 18 as a client. <laughs> and uh, those were some of the original books that I was reading. Um, because that's all pretty much that existed at that time. But uh, so to get to, okay, I get to Dallas, right, which is like just my parents trying to push me towards good things. <laughs> and then I, I decide to go to counseling. And then I happen to cross paths with Dr. Coburn, who was one of my professors, and he worked there. And I was like, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if I could work at the Meyer Clinic? I mean, this was like, huge to me so um i get to work at the meyer clinic and i get to work with dr meyer and oh he's because he's a legend to me right um and then i trained in their php program so the partial hospitalization program which is 100 percent voluntary it's not real quick can you explain what that is yeah. to the listener because yeah. i'm not sure and i'm sure a lot of listeners I didn't know what know. that was when i yeah, read that too yeah. yeah yeah so explain yeah, sure. it to us Sure. Okay, so first responders are typically, like, when you're going on one, uh, like, an APOW or whatever, right? You're taking the, the the citizen and, you know, maybe they're needing to go inpatient, right? They're not going to stay there very long. They're probably going to stay there 36 hours, 24 hours. They're just stabilizing them where they're not a harm to themselves or someone else. At that point, ideally, they're going to step down to a, 
a partial hospitalization program where it's 100% voluntary. They're spending, they go home at night, probably. Um, so like at, at the Meyer Clinic, it's, you know, they show up at 8am, they leave at like four or five, they have three individual sessions, they have group every day, they have education, they meet with a doctor or nurse every day. Um, it's very intense work and they stay from like three to eight weeks. So, and then they kind of step down to what we call IOP, which is intensive outpatient, which means they might see the doctor a little bit less and they kind of step down to, to get ready to enter back into their lives. Is there a lot of substance and alcohol abuse in, involved in it? There was a lot of trauma. Okay. A lot of trauma. Um, the Wire Clinic doesn't specialize in substance abuse. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't come along with it but sometimes, but uh, it's not a substance abuse program. Okay. And ATO has been involved with the Meyer Clinic for quite some time. Were they already involved with with the Meyer Clinic before you got got there? They were. Okay. They yeah, they were. But I was uh, I was not on the first responder path yet, so that didn't mm. mean anything to me when I you know. Okay, speaking of that path, let's let's hear how did you get on that path to the first responder? I mean, you're married to one, but <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Sure that may have nudged you a certain way. Right? It did. Yeah. Um, it did. I so I. Did the PHP program, and while I was there, what I was noticing was there was such a crap ton of trauma. Trauma, 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 right? And uh, I started focusing on childhood trauma, uh, sexual childhood trauma and abuse, and addicts in recovery. Those were my two, like, favorite populations because once those people start to, like, once you can see the wheels starting to turn, like, their whole world changes and it's like you see them get free and it's really amazing. So I started focusing on trauma in that way. And uh, even I worked on their trauma curriculum just to kind of get it to where it needed to be currently. Um, And then, you know, our family was a normal family and had issues. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm in the field now. I will be able to, to just automatically fall into a program, I mean, a network of providers who are first responder focused. This is going to be easy, right? It was not easy. I was like, how is it that Dallas in whatever, 2018, and I'm in the field and I'm struggling to find good, competent first responder providers? Yeah, It didn't seem right. And so we just, I was like, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, we're going to do a little talk. Yeah. Where we just tell clinicians what it, the first responder life. I remember life. that. And it, and it yeah. and we I was it was like one hour. It was like here's some super basic stuff, you guys. All right, go out and heal the world, right? Yeah. And then uh, I got we got such feedback from that, like oh we need this, we need this so bad that it just started one thing led to another. And so do you believe being culturally competent is important when it comes to dealing with first responders? I do. And why? Well, I mean, we had some guys activate the EAP, and like they call and talk to a counselor, licensed, very professional. But then you start telling our stories, and the counselor starts crying, you know, or they don't understand like just the basics of our. So we spend a whole session talking about how my shift works, and you know? and that could be just one story of many that occurred that Absolutely. week. Absolutely, yeah, right. You know, and another guy had a counselor like had to stop. I was like, I can't handle your stuff, you know, and so like, why? They, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like, well, they're humans too. I mean, they, really, yes, they're yeah. Just, they like, can't I like. I don't judge them for it. But I don't. No, but it's, yeah, it's, it's I'm just trying to make things better. Yeah, yeah. So people nope. understand. Mm. Oh yeah. I think a lot of police officers reach out mm-hmm. and are 
like they get in there and they're like, I'm not doing this. This this person doesn't even mm-hmm. get what I'm trying to talk about. Right. It, We've seen a, we, a we lot hear, of that. We yeah. hear a lot of that. And I, I give them credit. Like they had a boundary. Like I'm maybe emotionally or maybe there's something in their past that like, yeah. kind of reaches out to them. It's like, I can't handle your case. Well, they have thresholds too. Just like yes, everybody, you know, absolutely. And, then, and then they, if you're not used to dealing, like talking right. to us and hearing about certain incidents and, and, and because when you're telling a story, if, if when I'm telling a story and you're telling a story to me yeah. a while ago about what you went through, I am visualizing it. Right. It's making me emotional. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm not seeing it like you're seeing it. I would imagine, right, Barbara, that's mm-hmm. what a, uh, a response, a uh, uh, clinician would be dealing with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And some people just can't, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that I, I really believe in my experiences dealing with counseling cultural competency is really important and it, I, I agree with that yeah. yeah and i can't imagine what barbara what you absorb oh. when you because you're absorbing it at home and in your profession mm-hmm. so what are your outlets how do you mm-hmm. how do you deal with it well i have a few tricks so i am gonna go, i'm gonna give away this trick that i use in, in the counseling room okay so because i am a very visual person when i start hearing the the details of the story um, and my brain wants to start putting the picture together, what I do is I actually picture, this is going to sound weird, I picture like a talking bubble above the person's head, and instead of seeing what they're describing, I'm seeing the words that they're saying above their head. That's interesting that you said that because that's exactly how Dr. T, but she just does it on a whiteboard. Oh, mm-hmm. how interesting. cool. Yeah. And it helps with the the, interesting. the, the client yeah to actually see it verbalized in words with those bubbles and that's something that um really helps oh that's great so that's interesting that's so good to hear that um okay so that was one of my tricks of like to not absorb it in the in the room right um another is that i'm now art which is accelerated resolution therapy and emdr certified and what the beauty of those two um tools is i don't have to hear it um they're processing it very quickly in their own mind the less they talk about it the better i've had times when i do that where i literally don't even know what they're processing i know they're processing a stressful event i might say a couple times is there anything you'd like to share they say no okay all right well then Let's just, you know, and I tell them what the next step is. So that helps a lot. Can you explain to the listener what EMDR is? We've had other doctors on to yeah, talk about it too, it. but could you give your perspective on it and also the ART? Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, let's break it down, please. Yeah, sure. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and ART is very similar as an offshoot, and it stands for accelerated resolution therapy. And both of them use a similar tool in that the eyes are going back and forth, which we believe is uh, sort of simulating things like normal things like going for a walk, but it's allowing our brain to work differently while we reprocess something so it's not as traumatic. So it's I kind of describe it like, um, so when you have a traumatic event, you come home, right? Oh, let me rewind. Okay. So imagine a traumatic event is like going to the grocery store. You come home, you have all your groceries. What's the first thing you do? 
you start sorting them and putting them away, right? So when you have a traumatic event, but you don't sleep, or you have another traumatic event right after it, or you just have don't have great coping skills or whatever the heck, right? Then you're coming home with all your groceries and you're shoving them in the pantry. Well, imagine you're doing that over and over and over and over and over again, okay? Eventually, I'm going to be like, hey, can I have a glass of milk? And you're going to be like, no, I don't even really want to go near the closet, right? Sure. Um, you're like, it stinks. I don't want I mean, it gets overwhelming, right? And you're like, let's just move. So... Let's just burn the house down. Let's just burn the house down. That Let's makes more sense. It's easier. Start over. Right? Go to a restaurant. We don't need to. Yeah. 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 So, but EMDR and ART, what it is, is we're going to find a really quick way to like maybe go into the closet. We're going to pull some stuff out. We're going to organize it a little bit. We don't erase anything. We're just simply storing it properly. So it's not something you're like continuing to carry with you and it's not triggering. And what ART really focuses on is the image. So, I, you know, I've heard some of y'all's interviews and even with David, like the image, image can be what brings so much of the pain. So if we can replace the image or change the image in some way that it's not as triggering, well, then the brain will do the rest. Yeah, the, you're, uh, the images will get me because whenever I'm hearing a story from all the many guests that we've had on, um, it just just a while ago with David's, I'm visualizing when Misty is talking about the Martell incident, I'm visualizing and then I get perspective and then i turn around and then chris tells his right so you're getting mm-hmm. different perspectives and you're putting together different images and you know and it's not good but it's mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's, it's hard not does. to do that well it's task oriented too and i think this culture likes they they yes. want they want to solve the problem they want to be task oriented yeah. and it really relates to that mm-hmm. to those types of personalities yeah absolutely so the, the outlets I have is I have some tricks that I do in the counseling Please room. Please tell us. Yeah. Um, and then the things that we do, friendship, community is huge. We have worked really hard over the past few years to yes. find good, safe people, people who keep our confidences, people we can be authentic with, people we can share emotions with, people who aren't going to uh, ask us questions that we don't want to answer, like what was your worst call? I, I can tell the most worst joke known to man and they just look at me like that's messed up david don't do that. <laughs> you know yeah. but in a way like they get it i should show you my phone some of my pics of my phone oh <laughs> yeah it's, yeah the firefighters are like the group yeah. messages like come on man but <laughs> right? yeah but they get us they understand it, and i could i can make comments or not make comments and they they totally get it yeah yeah, so community is huge. Um, we even have like a first responder life group at church, which is really helpful. Um, it's small but mighty, you know, like it's over the years, we just get more and more comfortable with each other. And of course, uh, our faith is important to us and trying to make some sense of some of the chaos that yeah. is experienced. Um, and then we just have things that we love, like karaoke, um, one of the doctors that I, when I was working in the PHP program, said, do not forget to spend time with healthy people because yeah. it can feel like uh, very overwhelming to always be with people who are in a hard place, which is great. I want to help them, but I also need people who aren't in a hard place. Yeah. And we both exercise. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's part of it. Water, but the exercise, the physical activity. Obviously, obviously look at, you're looking at David's guns over here. Oh, God. The, the guns are as equally as intimidating as that stash. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> you guys let's, are better than mine, bro. I know, right? Let's, let's get him a schmedium. <laughs> oh, I, I think Joe wanted to, us to look at his guns. Yeah. But it was like an indirect. <laughs> you just like, you just therapized him. Yeah. 
That's, that's, I, that's my worry. Like, don't therapize me. I'm used to that. Yeah. <laughs> that like, I could tell she has this voice. She has a counselor voice. So I was like, don't use your counselor voice on me. Can't don't do that. that. Don't therapize me right now. Just let me be angry. <laughs> that would be hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard not being a firefighter at home, too. So I get it. Like, I get it. But I'm like, mm-hmm. just don't do it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your love of karaoke and that you exercise together. What other things do you do as a couple to um, keep your relationship strong? The activity-wise, like, you... First of all, like, we don't work out together because I don't do Pilates. Um, <laughs> I maybe Pilates. I should be. Because, it helps like, with longevity. I'm still, yeah, I'm very creaky. <laughs> but um activity wise like you're like a very sports oriented ver- versus like i do cole does jujitsu yeah. and then i can't do jujitsu but i do the Muay Thai. I, that's what i do yeah um and that's a lot of fun um we laugh we laugh lot. i think it's constantly talking that's like mm-hmm. our activity like mm-hmm. we constantly are just kind of chatting and like stuff like that we don't watch a lot of the same shows together we don't have the same Taste in shows. Um, every once in a while, we hey, do. Real quick, okay. What is your favorite? What is your type of show? <sighs> Sci-fi. Okay. Do you um, watch the new Obi Wan? I haven't yet, dude. I've been waiting for it to finish. It's, we did no, like Star Wars. Finished. We'll do watch no, that. Obi Wan's the best thing I've seen. Is it really? All, it's the best Star Wars or Marvel show they've had on there. Over Mandalorian. Yes. Oh, Trust okay. me. Trust me. Yes. Okay. okay. Um. And Cole and I don't play video games together. Like that's something him and I can do together. That's cool. That we can and like you, you get Cole. That's it. You want to get him talking. You can't. Yeah. Start talking about video. Tell me about jujitsu or or video game. Right. And he'll go all day because he's kind of like me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like he'll he'll just be quiet. You know, he's a vault. Mm-hmm. But. So we. Are you waiting for my yeah, show? I'm, I'm waiting yeah, for, yeah, I'm waiting. Oh. I'm waiting for the yeah. show. We've already okay. talked about Mad Men. What else? <laughs> uh. Okay, well, I've watched The Sopranos all oh, the way through. My favorite all time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> three times. Three times. Yes. One of my favorite scenes in there is when, do you remember when Carmela goes to the, the psychiatrist and he's like, don't say no one ever told you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, The Sopranos, I love. The Wire. Did you watch The Wire? Yep, watch yeah. The Wire. Yep. And, uh, you know, I love. Peaky Dune. Blinders. Peaky Blinders. Yeah. yeah. Huge. A lot of violent shows. Barbara, that's, I know yes. there's something wrong with me. Yeah. What's going on inside? All Who great cooks? shows, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I cook. I cook. Yes. You're not the firehouse cook. I do, at the firehouse. <laughs> okay, so yeah, oh. <laughs> that's that's a point. It's gonna be a point of contention. Yeah. You touched on a nerve. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I can kind of yeah. like feel them out. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, exactly. So we're like, he's like two years in. And some old guy trying to at the station trying to stir the pot. Oh like, yeah. Oh, so David David cook at home? And I was like, um, no, never. And he was like, well, he cooks here. And I was like, he cooks at the fire station. Yeah. He's saving lives. Yes. <laughs> He's saving the teammates' like, lives. What does he cook at the fire station? And he was like, well, you know, this, that, all kinds of ribs, all kinds of things. I'm like, he's literally never cooked any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Still doesn't. No, I can heat things up. You can. Yeah, I do that. Um, And a few things. I I don't enjoy cooking. But at the firehouse, it's one of those necessities. You're like, that's part of the job. So part of life. I don't, when it's my turn to cook or if it's 
cooking needs to be done. So y'all like, share the I'll cooking. Yes. My grandfather was a retired Oklahoma City fireman, and he was mm. he was the station chef. So there are, yeah, there are crews that are like <clears> that. <throat> like, we don't have one on, like, there's another crew. Like, he, Jake Lackey is one of the best smokers of meats I've ever met. Like, mm. he can do it. It's an art. It's so good. And he can make these detailed dinners and stuff like that. It's like, our crew has some good cooks, but none of us, like, are passionate about it or enjoy right. it. So we all just take turns doing it when mm. we can. But... I have a few meals in my pocket that I can do. So what's your go-to workout to prepare for fire service? Oh, man. Um, so the one I do, Muay Thai, I don't like to run. And there's no running on the fire ground anyway. You're supposed to walk with purpose. That's the rule. Okay. That's the saying. Um, but you have to have cardio. And so I went, I transitioned to, when I started doing Muay Thai, I'm like, this is the best cardio I've had in years. So um, CrossFit's pretty close. Because it's okay. weights, intense weights and stuff like that. But as I realized, unless you know the movements precisely, you're going to hurt yourself. And so I can't do CrossFit. I have a hard time getting stuff, the bars over my heads now because of my shoulders and my yeah. back and stuff like that. So, like, weight training's key. I think for, I mean, we all, like, the science of weight training is, like, cardiovascular disease. Uh, it fights cancers. It fights um, um, bone density and stuff like that so like weight training always has to be mixed in but you have to have your cardio because like the heart the heart disease is what always gets us yeah well i mean for the listener out there i think a lot of people have the perspective that firemen are sitting in their recliner you know and having these big meals when you say cardio is a must why um so the fire especially with all our gear that puts a lot of straight like a lot of heat and a lot of stress on the body which then puts a lot of stress on the heart. So you you have to find the exercise that makes your heart as healthy as possible. And yes, the diet of a firefighter, there are some really good guys that like have really good diets. In general, the diet of a firefighter is not good. And I mean, you hear, especially the medic guys, when they're working all day long, they're going to get a meal when they can, sure. or if they can. So maybe that's pulling a sandwich out of the, the fridge at the hospital or going by fast food real quick. Um, and then we do, we, like, there's a lot of gravy and bacon involved in our diet, you know, just and steak. So yeah. So anything exercise type that makes the heart healthier because you get all your gear on, you're in heat and then your adrenaline's pumping up. So your heart rate's pumping up, your blood pressure's going up. So if your heart's not healthy, you're, it's, you're not going to be able to sustain that for very long, you know, and then you're. Well, when you wear that mask, that pure oxygen is not good too. You know, after a while, it's like that's. It doesn't feel it. It doesn't feel like you're breathing normal air. So then your heart rate gets up with that as well. So, yeah, the cardio is like, we do like three mile walks with weight vest to kind of help with that. So anything that kind of just gets your heart going a little bit, constant like on a daily basis to get your heart rate up on a daily basis is kind of key. Joe always mentions pin pricks. And throughout our career, all these little incidents, these medical calls are yeah. these pinpricks. And so I think there's a lack of effort to keep your mind healthy, too. Absolutely. We put mm-hmm. all this effort into this physicality. What do you do to keep your mind healthy? Um, I've gotten better at it. Um, one, we just got... So we just, in our contract with the city, we finally got them to agree to once a year, they're going to do a mental health ISO. Good. So once a year, we're going to spend about four, 
four hours well not and but also we combine it with also physical health too so like the key the plan is you're gonna bring in a mental health professional but also talk about that but also bring in a dietitian bring in a physical sure. therapist to talk about things like that and that's supposed to have the first one's supposed to happen in august and i'm really excited to see how that goes you mentioned earlier um when you started you learned a lot from um the guys that have been there a while yeah right um, so this is something new that they're bringing in, that the city's bringing yeah. in, right? So how how are y'all taking that? How is most of the culture taking um, this new effort to keep your mental health well? So I will, it's kind of interesting. Our, McKinney specifically, a few years ago, we didn't have like peer support. We didn't have that. And then... A lot of us, you know, like three of us, the three of us that are in charge of mental support at or charge of the mental support at in McKinney now, we got to watch one of our friends. We got to, I call it the decompensation of a human being. Like he had a call. It was a really bad call. And at the same time, he was injured on that call. So he started having nightmares, waking up screaming, and because of the injury and his personality, he got on pain meds, but kept trying to work. And so the injury never got better. So you had this combination of a guy who was dealing with something mentally. And then we brought in a slight substance abuse problem. And we went from a guy that was firefighter and paramedic of the year that one year in the very same year he's getting fired. And you look back now and we're like, we did nothing to take care of him. Like as, as a peer support stuff I've seen now is like, we can, I can look back and it's like, there's a red flag. There's a red flag. Here's a red flag. And he's, and we didn't do anything. And that's kind of like, so in McKinney, everybody knows that story. We're small enough. Like we only have 200 firefighters. We're small enough that everybody knows that story. So my age and above, we kind of like, okay, I get it. But now you take this younger generation, these 20-year-olds, man, they, they'll talk about their stuff. They'll put it out there. And that's a, that's a good thing. You know, sometimes I think they talk a little too much, <laughs> just in general. But that's my own thing. Mm. But um, so, and then also, like, kind of like, that's what got me into it. But that also saw, so when his family life started to suffer, because he wasn't leaning on them in the right way either. Like, so he had nothing to lean on. And that's kind of where, like, the whole picture of, like, your brothers can help you, peer support can help you, but your family is key, too, and having them have your backs is, like, that's the ultimate crutch to lean on. If it's the family life is not healthy, you're going you're gonna to crumble, mm-hmm. I feel like. David, is, is it, do you find it difficult to be married to a counselor? No. Okay. Uh, no, I was, I was just curious That's because a good some, question. No. there's a lot That's of people that would look at it as being analyzed daily, right? And you look you know, at you, you look at things that. through a different lens. I was just curious. We hear that like people make those jokes <laughs> all the time, and like, oh, you're you're analyzing me right now, and like, I'm like, I know Barbara, mm-hmm. so. You knew her before. Yeah, That's I, right. I, Both I of us that. knew each yeah. other. We were married uh-huh. seven years before. Before I got into the fire service, and then two years later, she went into counseling. It's like we know each other mm-hmm. before these professions kind of took over. I would say took over our lives. 
Well, and I've stopped telling people I'm a counselor or a therapist, and I just tell them I work at a mental health clinic. And if they keep asking, I'll, of course, I'll share. But for the most part, that way it just kind of keeps it from. I'm sure you guys have similar experiences, yeah. right? I tell people I work at a carnival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there ha- there's some truth to that, right? Yeah. But you're not going to give any secrets from the right. firehouse. All right, Barbara, what are some <laughs> indicators? that first responders if they could do a self check what you know if mm-hmm. they need to just do a diagnostic check of themselves yeah can you talk about those yeah sure okay so am i getting good sleep is my sleep restful are some of the things that i used to like enjoy doing and look forward to am i not enjoying those anymore am i pulling away or detaching more and more from the things and people in my life that i do care about um Am I also not finding ways to, I need to have ways that are completely outside of whatever I'm doing to recharge, rest and recharge. So one thing is the difference between burnout and vicarious trauma, right? So burnout is when, like, think about like a um, battery, right? So if a battery goes down, you just recharge it and it's, everything's good to go again, right? So burnout is like, hey, I went on vacation, came back, I feel like I'm ready to go, it's good, right? Uh, vicarious trauma uh, is I've done all the things I know to do. I am working out. I am trying to go for walks. I'm trying to hang out with people. I'm trying to do the things. I'm trying to take a break and it's just not working. And I can't stop thinking about these things that um, really I, I need to put to bed. So I think those are two good things to think about. So you want to keep doing, you want to keep resting and recharging. We all need to do that. But when you start noticing like I the things that used to work aren't working anymore or, hey, I used to have two beers. Now I have 17 or, um, hey, it used to take one of these pills to help me. Now it's taking a bunch. Um, I think family members and friends are, are really good barometers as well. So if they're saying like, hey, you're different, dude. Like, I'm looking at you. I, you haven't been the same in a year, right? Uh, another really weird good trick is look back on a picture from a couple of years ago. Mm. Like, oh, wow. yeah. you know, sometimes people can see like, oh, like I still had a spark in my eye. And like, now when I look in the mirror, I don't see that spark anymore. That's a good time to start thinking about getting some help. Yeah, Barbara, tell us about the three FTL and what that stands for. What? Yeah, all good questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have to kind of look at my notes a little bit because I did not. Found, I'm a, not a founder of three FTL. So three FTL started in uh, 2019 with a Frisco firefighter wife and a Frisco firefighter who were tired of seeing friends, family members, people close in their lives get divorced, uh, attempt suicide. Uh, they had one captain who they were really close to who drank himself to death um, and they just vowed no more. It's not going to happen anymore. But as many people experience in all of mental health, no matter what field you're in, you know, people are getting hand, we're getting handed like, here's a piece of paper. Here's some, if you're lucky, you had EAP, right? If you're lucky, your apartment did. Um, and it, it was a piece of paper with like seven clinicians on it and you'd call three of them and they weren't accepting new clients two of them weren't in business anymore whatever right and then you're like great like I'm in crisis and I'm trying to navigate this mental health network right and I don't really don't know what I'm doing and um 
so what they came in to do, which is different than any other organization I know of right now, is they came in and did have a case manager who she had, Jennifer Holly has handpicked and vetted, and I'm, I'm helping with that, that's part of what I help with, is finding those clinicians, both med providers and um, counselors or psychologists that are prop- properly trained and culturally vetted to uh, work with first responders. So what happens is people reach out to Jennifer, case manager, and then she says, okay, what's going on? She listens to their story, and then every first responder gets a psych eval, Every first responder gets a medival. They get a blood panel to check on things like thyroid, vitamin D, um, cortisol, because as you guys know with Dr. Glenn, right? Mm-hmm. She knows. Yeah. She screens for all those things too. I mean, D- Dr. Glenn, Dr. Uh, Tanya Glenn is uh, such a huge uh, legend Absolutely. for us. Yeah, yeah. She's a huge legend for me. We have another episode upcoming. It hasn't aired yet with her and a, and a, a female first responder that she treated. Both of them, they're, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. She's amazing, right? Absolutely. Um, Okay. So they get a blood panel. They get the psyche valve. And then by psyche valve, what I mean is they're going to just meet with someone who's trained in looking for psychiatric things or psychological things and answer some questions. We're not talking about like filling out bubbles for like four hours. It's not the hot. Yeah. The one you take to get hired. Right. (laughs) Right. It's not that. 400, 500 questions. It's not that. But we just want to, and we want to get all that done super quickly. Um, and then they're going to get plugged into a peer group, which has no, there's no clinician involved in the peer group because it's literally peers. Um, and they're going to have their first appointment made with a counselor and they're going to have, um, all of that put together and then it's just done for them. Now, 3FTL also is, is checking for things like, do they accept insurance? If they don't accept insurance, will they accept a low rate? If they don't accept a low rate, can 3FTL somehow subsidize that? Because the wor- the last thing 3FTL wants to hear is, well, we can't afford it. And we know we can't afford it. Who can afford it, right? So they're stepping in to organize the case. And then they're also stepping in to help out financially. That's so, amazing. So you have can- uh, counseling therapy, case management. Yep. Med uh, management. Peer support. Peer support. Uh, how do these modalities commingle for better resolutions? Well, if we're all working together as a team, so each person who comes in is signing in a release of information. Mm-hmm. So we're all knowing, like, hey, what's going on? This is what I'm seeing. Because, like, the counselor is going to spend uh, at least an hour a week with these people. They have to go once a week for eight weeks. That's the commitment that they sign. Now, if they and if they don't show up, there's a release of information, and I hit Jennifer or hit the case manager, and I say, hey, they didn't make it. And, you know, maybe they caught overtime, and that's fine. But maybe they're kind of, you know, going off the rails a little bit, and she kind of kind of talks them back on the rails, right? Because we're here to help them, right? So um, we all talk together as a team to kind of know what's going on. You know, the med people know their piece, so that maybe they're going to tell me, hey, he's starting a new med, or we're working on their sleep, and um, almost everyone now is getting referred for a sleep study as well, because I've, I don't think I've met a first responder that doesn't have sleep apnea. No. Um, and as we know, sleep is huge to, to health, right? So uh, we all work together as a team. We're all talking about what's going on while working with our in our own disciplines. Um, and then that way we can kind of know more of a 360 so that we're he- they're heading in the right direction. Okay, you mentioned the, the med people. Y- yeah. Y'all have staff. Y'all, psychiatrists on staff, they get to prescribe. Correct. Okay, that's unique. Can you explain why that? Because as opposed to a primary care physician mm. that doesn't have a specialty in that medication, 
Can you describe yes. explain that? Thank you for asking that question. Um, okay, so... I have a few good ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I love doctors and PCPs and general practitioners. It's so needed. And um, a psychiatrist um, or a, a psychiatric nurse or is, is they've studied in what's going on with the brain and the chemicals and hormones in the brain specifically. And so when someone's meeting with them, they know the, the questions to ask. They, they are up on the most recent medication and the most recent medication uh, recipe that's going to help. So, and there's a focal point to the to psychiatry right, as yeah. opposed to, you know, yeah, just general a, practitioner, yeah, like right. a sore back or a, right, right, yeah, okay. We're, like I'll like I'll say like, hey, I don't go to my OB/GYN and when I have strep throat, yeah, and say like, hey, can you? I mean, she can, she can look at it right. and she can be like, oh, here's an antibiotic, sure. But it's not an expert analysis of that particular problem, right? right? Okay. Because what if it's more than strep throat, right? It's going to just prolong the process of finding the right mix. And not every first responder in the 3FTL program is on a brain medication, um, but they're at least like getting sort of screened to see if it would be appropriate to, to, to experiment or a look at some things. Okay, I want to get into um, marriages because, you know, the first responder community, the oh, yeah. divorce is very, very prevalent. What fight well manage conflict don't sweat the small stuff mm-hmm. like you're big on can you explain that approach why don't you take one of those <laughs> fight well so fight don't sweat well the small stuff. um so the small stuff is yeah i mean there's kind of things we could all probably kind of go back and forth on in a day but we kind of learned to just kind of let those things go um the biggest, like we talked about a little earlier, is like constantly having conversations. Um, the boundaries, you know, we're very good about like, hey, I didn't sleep last night. Give me four hours and then I'll be good to go. You know, those kind of like expects very clear expectations. Mm-hmm. And then coming to fighting well is more of we're not going to beat around the bush. If you're upset, that's specifically what we talk about. We're not going to trail try our best not to trail into any other kind of things like if you're upset about a specific reason that's what we're gonna fight about and we do i mean i'm not we're we, i'm gonna, not gonna say we don't fight people. we still mm-hmm. fight we almost fought this morning you know um because people mm. do things in totally different ways and sometimes it doesn't make sense to that other person so let's that irritated me like when you turned left and I would have gone right, that makes no sense to mm-hmm. me. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. But you talk about it very specifically. And when you say fight well, then when you're, when that person is giving their point, you are purposely listening to their point and not mm-hmm. trying to think of what your comeback's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Like that's mm-hmm. very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So like, and when I do it, when we both do that well, You'll be surprised how long the fight doesn't last after that. Because then I'm trying to listen to what she's trying to say. As opposed to one-upper. Yeah, Yeah, instead of just one-upping each other. you know, Or not listening. It's like, well, my counterpoint, I'm just going to stick to what my point of view was. and So that's the fighting. Well, the sweat, the small stuff. That's kind of what... We've kind of learned that in the fire services. There are things you can control and things you can't control no matter what you do. Um... So as we kind of move that into the house, like, is it something we can directly control? 
then we'll do something about that. If it's not, then we're like, we're just going to have to let that one go mm-hmm. type deal. And so like fighting well too, one of the things I learned from one of my amazing doctors that I worked with was, uh, and trained under was to plan our fights. Yes. Because, so for example, we, you know, I came in one day after the first day of school and uh, he was like, how'd it go? First day of school, you know, dropping off the kid off and uh, the doctor that I was training with and he, and I was like, oh, well, we fought. He's like, oh, well, you did you? I was like, yeah, we always fight on the first day of school. I don't know what's going on. He's like, well, the next time you just need to plan it. I yeah. was like, uh, what? So next time you just need to know we're going to f- fight on the first day of school because we have two different expectations. I want to take it slow, take all the pictures, like kiss him goodbye. David just wants to walk with yeah, purpose and, and get him there. <laughs> <laughs> right okay so we have two ex- different expectations going in so we're yeah. it's probably going to be tense uncomfortable we're going to bicker a little bit but like it is what it is we always do that right then it was noticing like we all always fought on vacation yeah so I don't know anyone who doesn't. I think only yeah. psychopaths don't fight on vacation. Go, go to Disney World. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're guaranteed. That's not the happiest place on earth. I promise. <laughs> and it was very similar because like maybe I was going into the vacation thinking, oh, we're going to like chill at the beach. It's going to be relaxing. Yeah. We're going to have, right? Maybe he's thinking we're only going to do the beach for two hours and then we're going to go inside. Whatever it was, we had all these expectations and then we would just kind of take it out on each other and bicker. Yeah. So knowing what those expectations are beforehand is, and just voicing them. He can't read my mind. He doesn't know I just want to spend all day at the beach and do nothing. I have to tell him that, right? So what do we do now? We get in the car immediately. Now it's a joke. And you'd be amazed at how we don't fight when you plan your fights. Mm-hmm. Because we'll get in the car and we'll make the joke. Someone will, like you can. It's, it might be tense. It's gonna because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. It's the start of vacation. We're gonna fight. So she'll automatically is like, okay, who's gonna be mad first? Who wants to take their turn first? Because we can't be all mad at the same time. So who wants to go first? It's like sometimes it's cold. Like so it's like and so like that little thing right there that she does. You're like, all right, fine, let's right? Just enjoy. It. And I think, it, yeah, because. You were talking about the first day of school. We have different priorities. Like, I want him to be on time. I want him to be respectful at school. It's like, she wants him to have all the supplies. It's just different priorities. And when we don't talk about what our priority is for that subject. You're going different directions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we both have very strong personalities. Oh, and yeah. so, I mean, we will literally, there's a Sonic that's like a mile from our house. We both have two different ways we go. So and we and both, both think the right way. We both think the other person is like doesn't make any sense why right. he would go that way. Um, and so we just kind of don't start the small stuff. He goes a different way. It's not a big deal. Uh, one of the jokes I don't know what, with law enforcement, but with firefighters at marriages is what they'll talk about coming in to, uh, after shift. They're transitioning back into the house, right? One of the first things I look at is... The sink. The sink. To see if there's dishes in the sink. And if there's dishes in the sink, it is, it's on, right? It's then it's trying to find all the things in the house that didn't get done while they were gone. All the things they would have done differently, right? Yeah. So... What causes that? I think it goes back to like the the it goes back to like the station life where like yeah. everything's orderly, everything's kept, your equipment's kept clean, your gears kept clean, the station is kept clean, the bathrooms are constantly clean, everything is nice and orderly and clean and in place. And I think we go back that just as a it's a mechanism to what else is going on in our brain. Mm, you know, sure. if I can keep the station and all that stuff orderly, then the brain stuff can be all mixed mixed up. Mm-hmm. You know. 
So I think that's a coping mechanism. So when we come home and the home is in shambles, by my by my perspective, I'm correcting myself. (laughs) By my my perspective, the home is in shambles, then it's now on me to fix it all or you know, then nothing's going to go right that day because nothing's in order. Yeah. Yeah. So did you hear that? Like expecting it's going to be a certain way when you come in. And then, and something that really opened my eyes too, is you said, Barbara, the thing is we can run 50 calls a day. We're still never going to leave dishes in the sink. So right. when we get home and we hear, well, I was really busy. to They hear that as like, we just didn't care. <clears throat> and then the key that I heard you say too is then you feel immediately like, okay, well then I have to do it. Right. So when you walk in and the house is in shambles, right. air quotes, yeah. <laughs> or it just has normal people living there. Um, Let's be uh, fair. There is a shelf that's out of the wall right now. <laughs> That sounds like shambles. Yeah, yeah. Shambles. shambles. Wow, look at that look she just gave me. Don't side with him. Uh-uh. I should have worn my vest today. I know, yeah, right? my bulletproof vest. Is that when when things are out of order, yeah. you feel like, well, I firefighter or whatever, yeah. I have to take care of it. She left it here for me to take care of. Yeah. Which is not really accurate, but that's the story you might be telling yourself in your head. Right. Yeah. You're getting worked up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So now, like, we made a joke about it, but she called and told me about, like, the shelf breaking and stuff like that. And so now we're the, that and the sink. Like, one, I just don't look at the sink when I come home. I take a right and I don't even go in the kitchen. <laughs> um, but those are the little things like that. Like, you know what? It's okay. The bigger picture. Right. It's okay. Like, are you okay? You fell off the ladder. You're okay. All right. We'll get the, like, we'll get the shelf fixed. Right. So it's, but that, that was a process we had to go through of talking about those things to realize, like, I can't sweat those things like that. And to realize the big key was the transitions. Like I'm at home. This is not the firehouse. Yeah. So things are a little bit differently. Yeah. So basic communication. I mean, sometimes I'll even just text him and say, prepare your heart. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. prepare yeah. your heart, babe. Like, there's there's going to be dishes in the sink. Like, I've done my best or whatever, but it's there. Yeah. What advice would you give to non-first responder spouse to deal with their first responder spouse mm. that, that they may not be aware of? A little check, kind of a checklist that indicators they can look for. If they're doing okay, like just yeah, if they're doing okay, yeah. okay, and, and and just better communication. Um, well, we always we like to tell couples that you need to talk about two things. One is uh, what the worst case scenario, which no one wants to think about, right? But like, what if he doesn't come home? Like, I hate to say it, but do we know where the passwords are? Do we know like if there's no. life insurance? Did you take your ex wife off of the uh, life insurance? That kind of things. It's uncomfortable, but. You knock it out, two hours, done, right? Yeah. And now you just know, like, it's done, right? Okay, but then also, he's been on disability more than once, right? Yeah. And so, um, for injuries, that's gonna happen. Yeah, you guys get worn down. So, have that conversation, too. What do we need to know um, to manage that together? What kind of yeah. resources do we have? What does that look like? Um, another one is, uh, what do we do 
when you do break a shelf or there is a plumbing issue, right? So it it stresses him out if I'm calling him when there's uh, something that's going on at the house that I, is an emergency, but he can't do anything about it. So I need to be able to manage those. What's the plumber that's, you want me good. to call? Yeah. What's the electrician you trust? Who's the neighbor you trust to come over and unclog the sink or something like that, right? Um, and then the third is, know each couple's different, but know what your level is in terms of details, but like at least be able to know it was a bad call. Yeah. Every couple's different. Some are going to be totally, some, sometimes people are nurses, they're totally fine with all the details, whatever, it doesn't affect them. Um, but some are not ready to hear that, but they do need to know something happened and it was a bad call. So we, we tell them to have those conversations now rather than later. And then things to look out for are, are sleeping less, more irritated, less mm-hmm. patience, um, isolating from family and friends where they used to be more comfortable. And everyone's going to go through seasons. I'm not talking about like, oh, he had like an off week. I'm talking about like, okay, I can look back and see like six months ago or a year ago, he was in a, he or she was in a totally different place. I go back, like when we did, the first time we ever did our presentation was at um, Dallas's Fires Association place. And it's this one still, I still regret this because I didn't have the answer that I have now, this wife, she came by herself without her husband. And at the end, we was like, well, what's the question? Like, anybody have any questions? She goes, how do I stop my husband from going to the gym all the time? And now, like, I had a generic answer. Well, you just need to talk to him and communicate. Like, hey, these are things we want to get done. And now, now, knowing what I know now and going back, I regret not saying, hey, look, you need to get to the heart of why he's doing it. Ask why. Have that hard conversation of why are you going to the gym so much? Is it because you really enjoy it? Or is there something else going on that you're trying to work out or overcompensate for? Something like that. Okay, you gotta dig deeper. How what if he's like he or she is like, I'm fine, I just like the gym. Like, no. I mean what if he what if what if the spouse keeps running up against walls uh, uh, where the first responder's not letting them in? I think that's where you come in. Well, no, but they don't want to go get help. They don't want to go no, get no. help. They don't want to talk. I think that's a common scenario. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, okay, so that this just happened recently where that did happen. And that, because we've, we've talked enough about this and we've created this network of spouses and families, a spouse called me to check on someone else and said, he's not talking to me. He's... He is different. He's withdrawn. He's staring into the sky, you know, things like that. And it's like, okay, I'll go talk. I'll go talk to him. I think that's where that next level, that's where peer support comes into the whole family community that plays in where the spouse is. And we've talked about that. Like mm-hmm. part of that preparation for family is like, she has a list of guys that she could call because I don't want maybe there's the, the cap, maybe the captain at my station. I don't want him knowing my business. So I don't want her calling my captain, but I've been up front. Like if you do ever know something's up, these are the two people you can call to check on me. And that works out. Um, but with that one, like with the spouse is like the hard conversation and getting over the eggshells is I think the first part. And if they're not wanting to share, it's like, I just like really like working out. Then you've got to go that next level of, you can't start a fight over it then because apparently that's something very important to me 
Like I enjoy working out. I love doing that. And now you're attacking something I really enjoy in some form of fashion. Why I'm doing it, maybe I don't want to share it, but that's where that conversation needs to start. And if I'm not wanting to share that, then that's where you go, well, I'm going to, I need to call so-and-so and figure out what's going on. Yeah. But, so you're saying pull other people in that yes. are trusted. Yes. Right. And safe. Yes. Yeah. To have a conversation. Um, I think too, uh, there's two things I think of. One is um, boundaries with grace and love. So um, I'll talk to spouses or partners or whatever about um, being, you know, it's one thing to walk on eggshells or try to help them a little bit. It's, it's in our nature to want to, take care of them and protect them. I mean, even earlier when David was telling that story, I wanted to be like, stop, don't, you know, I want to protect him. Um, So that's in our nature and that's okay. That's good. That's loving. You love him. And over time though, that's not good for that person or the family, right? So um, watching out that you're like not making too many concessions for them. So setting boundaries with grace and love. I love you, Sweeney. And you did tell our son that you're going to take him fishing and he's really looking forward to it. So, so please like, how can I help you help him go fulfill this commitment that you made? Right. And then the other that was like right on the tip of my tongue was, Oh, this is a good one. You do your own work. I'll tell spouses, partners all the time. Okay. They don't want to go. You go. You go, you do your work, you focus on yourself. And I don't mean like in a selfish way where you're like, oh, I'm moving out and I don't care about you anymore. I just mean like, like, look at, examine your own stuff, right? Dig deep into your own story, dig deep into your own wounds. And perhaps, you know, in a year or so, because I do think it takes that long, when they see like you're growing, you're changing, and you're you're responding to them in different ways, they may think, hey, maybe I want to, Try something. The one I like, the one she gives me is I'll come home or she'll call me the night before, which is nice. He's like, tomorrow at this time, I need a game. <laughs> so that's what we call it. We got a game versus C game. We don't even, there's no B game. Yeah. It's either really good or really rough. Um, it's like, I need a game at this time tomorrow. And so then it gives me the opportunity. It's like, okay, if you want a game here, this is what I need to get there. So it's the talking and the communication and expectations of like, well, this is what you said you would do. And this is how I need you to be versus like, Mm -hmm. we're going to your parents' house. Please don't go sit on the couch. Please talk. (laughs) Yeah, And that's a legitimate conversation we've had. And maybe I still go sit on the couch, but, and maybe I don't, or I try a little bit more than I would if she hadn't have brought it up. So you guys are great together. You're you're a hell of a duo of, of of feeding off and 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 you can tell that you really have put the work in as a couple, and one being a first responder, it's 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 quite impressive. Thank um, you. Is there anything else you would like to cover and let the listener know that would help them put them in a better state physically, mentally, spiritually? Yeah, I think that part of the reason why we do gel together is we uh, one of the things we've spent. A few years, maybe four or five building intentionally is community. So friends, friendships, um, friendships outside of each other, obviously, and then a couple friends, which is so hard to do. And I've spent 18 years trying to make her laugh 
Oh, that's that true. <laughs> and you do make me laugh. Yeah. He does. I mean, we laugh a lot, y'all. Like, we really do not take each other, ourselves very seriously or each other. Um, but uh, so with community, though, we we started really building, like, uh, being persistent and about, like, uh, asking again and again. So it's really hard when you're like, hey, guys, we're going to this concert. Do you guys want to go with us? And you, you ask 30 people and you get... 31 no's, right? right? It's like, okay, I'm ouch. One, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, David. <laughs> you can't say no. You can't say no. Um, but you, and you know, and that happens again and again and again. But I would just say, keep asking, keep making plans. You may have to be the instigator. You may have to be the corraler. You may have to be the one that's like, hey, or, you know, like I would uh, text a bunch of wives. Like I'm, I'm, pretty good about you know knowing at the station what the other who the other wives are and saying knowing their own shift and saying hey do you guys want to go down to the um fourth of july parade together and i'm i might get a ton of no's but i don't take it personally everyone's busy um but then eventually over time we started to notice okay there's there are some of those people that are gonna say yes they're gonna say yes pretty consistently or they're gonna say yes enough yeah and then we get to know them and then we kind of have a, a group we have a pod right yeah. And then um, we host a lot. And listen, we we have our house was built in two thousand four. Uh, we weren't in it when it was built. No, and it still has the carpet from two thousand four. Okay, it just is what it is. We invite people over. We don't worry about stains on the carpet or any of that that craziness. And we just invite people in, and we invite even if it's like we don't know them that well, but they're on your crew, or right. or hey, I saw her on Facebook, and we just. Uh, try to host as much as we can so that people can get together. And I think if you're persistent, you get used to hearing the no's um, and not take it personally. Yeah. And then reciprocity is really good. And it, it's actually one of the things that research-wise people are, sh- are seeing is very different in relationships now as opposed to maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So remember when you used to be on the what playground? Does re- what does reciprocity mean? Repro- I know. <laughs> I'm not I'm saying that word. Let's start, let's start with the definition. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Okay. So remember when you were on the playground, like, you know, and you're like seven years old and you like saw this kid like playing in the sand and you were like, hey, you want to be best friends? And he was like, yeah, let's be best friends. And then you guys ran around and you were best friends and you had fun. And um, so I'm not necessarily saying you like run up to someone at the station or and say, hey, do you want to be best friends? But I don't know, maybe. Right. But but maybe you do kind of say like, hey, like we're very I think we try to be really intentional about telling our friends hey, you're a good friend. You guys are our good friends. What can yeah. we do for you? Like like telling them how we feel about them, telling them that, they're me- that they mean something to us, yeah. telling them that they are special to us. Um, and I think that starts to build that bond. So being persistent, getting used to no's, yeah. reciprocity. We use the love word a lot. We do. We use the love no, word with do. our friends. Um, and don't be worried about like, oh, we don't have the perfect house or the perfect backyard or the perfect car or any of that kind of stuff. Just or you yourself don't have to be perfect. And you we don't worry about don't that's the big one we don't worry about. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So then that way you're just you're inviting people into the mess, but like everyone's just happy to be there anyway. So I've shown up in parties in pajamas. You have showed up in parties yeah. in pajamas. Just because that community's you'll there. Be comfortable. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. You want to be comfortable. Right. But it's just, just like you said, the, the marriage, we put in the work in the marriage. Like the community takes just as much work, mm-hmm. you know, feeding that community and then being fed by them at the same time is what makes it work. Um, and it is hard sometimes. Like there are a lot of no's or there's sometimes you don't. But like the payoff, like when there's been some bad times and that community's been there, like I, 
like that's when, like okay that's how we got through it mm-hmm. you know you're involved in your church yeah and, and that people that are spiritual or religious you know how does mental health and resilient resi- resiliency how do they go hand in hand mm. You know, sometimes I think it helps yeah. and sometimes I think it doesn't. And I'll explain why. You know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I've accepted Christ. And yet having to experience or know or hear some of the stories that we hear um, can feel like, what the heck? Where is he? I don't get this. This is messed up, right? So sometimes it almost feels like they can be at odds with each other. Over time, where I've gotten with it is to believe that uh, first responders are um, God's first line to uh, helping to serve other people on earth, right? So whether you're a believer or not, we're meeting people and you guys are meeting people in suffering. You're mm. meeting people at their worst moments and you're hopefully showing them some grace, compassion, and some uh, some help at the same time. So that's how I um, kind of mesh those two or reconcile them. Uh, it's not all going to make sense to me on this side, but it helps me to have, find meaning in some of the work when it's really hard. Um, mm, that's that's an incredible answer. That is Thank a you. great answer. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it? There's a pastor, Matt Chandler. He said something very similar, like the world is is chaotic, and he's put certain people in this world to kind of help show how God can be a presence in someone's life. And sometimes those are first responders. When they come in with just a nice word on a very bad day, that's grace. That's God's grace. Um, For me, faith is like, I I mean, I grew up in it. Um, Missionary, son of a grandson of missionaries, and my dad being a pastor is like, that's kind of been the foundation of like, especially mental health. It helps me to know that there's something bigger than me. There's something, there's a plan or a purpose that's bigger than me. Like those days, it's not always on my shoulders. And like there is, God is looking out for me. I know that God's looking out for everybody. That's my belief. And that helps my, my mental, like it's not all on me and something bigger is going on, even if I don't understand it. Yeah. And the, the Meyer clinic is a faith-based clinic, but it, it's, everybody comes in it it certainly does not have to be you don't have to be christian to be there you're not going to get necessarily beaten down with uh are you a believer and you better be a believer it's not even like that i mean i would i do encourage all first responders and really maybe any of my clients to explore their own beliefs about okay how do you make sense of this like how can you what because if you don't that stuff is going to just continue to turmoil inside of you if you don't have a way to start sort of trying to make sense of it so i love that that's great so i have a final question for each of you mm-hmm. you've you've had a lot of life experiences a lot of tragedy and a lot of mending and you also mend others and you save others right david what would you say your why is and i want barbara to answer as well my why for doing that doing those things and your, what is your mission in life what is your why my why is probably how I got into even the association to begin with was the guys. Like I'm a deep believer in the brotherhood and I'm a deep believer in personal relationships. And so that's why just to, that's why I got in the association. And that's why I helped got helped with grievances and appeals is just to be there for the brotherhood and show that everybody's not alone. Like everybody 
needs somebody at some point. And I can, I can do that. I can, I'm not the best at words. I'm not the best at advice, but I can show up. So I, and my why is the brotherhood, my family. That's my why. That's really good. That's, that's part of exactly what I was going to say. Oh, okay, good. You but, showed your answer. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I... Well, your I, faith answer was way better than mine, so <laughs> that's yeah. good. I, I got to go first. Oh, she yeah. one-upped you there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Welcome it's to all marriage. Those one-uppers. the best one I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you know, I think that... Um, gosh, what was I about to say? So, you know, I'll joke around, like, there's, there's people that are smarter than me, more well-trained than me, have better experience than me, but I'm the one that's showing up. So I'm kind of what you get, and and I'm going to be as present as possible because for me, why is, you know, I've been in and out of counseling since I was like 18, 16. Um, I could maybe tell you five things that I learned in counseling, but the most important thing, especially when I was a wild child teenager, was that someone was just present with me and that I could just be safe with them. And for me, that's holy. That's the sacred work of, of when someone says to me, I've never shared this before, or thank you for letting me share this with you, or unpacking something that's incredibly difficult and they cannot feel judged or um, a hurt or anything like that, then I'm like, oh, this is this is the Lord's work. I mean, this is where it's happening right here for me. That's just for me. So uh, why do I do it selfishly? Because I love that space. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That, that, is, that is fantastic. I'm. We've been going back. We've been going back and forth through text and, and and emails, and it's really nice to finally meet meet you in person. And I look forward to continuing friendship and bouncing some ideas off of you in the future. And maybe I'll come back as a guest co-host. Right? Mm. It'd, be, oh, yeah. it'd be fun. <laughs> now you're you're now you're working in. She loves podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she's well, I like, like, she's I like, like that's that, a dream, like to yeah. co-host, like one time. Wow. Like, well, I, I like that she's the yard ticket fans too. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. right? Yeah. Thank, thank y'all. You. For, thank y'all so much for doing this for us. Oh my god, oh, we're thank happy to you guys. Really, like that, like, and not just because you had us on, but because of what you're doing to kind of bring awareness yeah. and to let people come tell their stories. And like, this is huge. I mean, I I really appreciate it. Thank you. McKinney fire in the house. Yep. (laughs) First one. Yeah. (laughs) Thank y'all so much. Thanks. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs., hey, mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder Together we'll run up from the bottom Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister, I'll see this all the way through No matter
sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I'll never give up on you.